Welcome to The Breakdown with Barack and Becky, a weekly podcast that breaks down politics, policy, and current affairs. I'm Michael Brockhorp. And I'm Becky Sher. We are excited today to be joined by Erin Dupree. Erin has been in the news recently as Governor Tim Walls appointed her to be the first director of the Office of Cannabis Management. Her appointment lasted one day. We wanted to allow Erin all the space she wants to talk about the process, what she learned, and what advice she would give to others considering leaving the private sector to work in government. And so, Aaron, we want to welcome you to our podcast. And I'm going to start with just asking you how you're doing right now. Well, first of all, thank you for allowing me to come on and giving me some of your time. Um, I'm actually doing much better now than I was over the weekend. All of the uh, fight or flight chemicals are finally getting out of my system. Good. That's good to hear. I want to ask you about the appointment and, and you being and you applying for the job to be the first cannabis director for the state of Minnesota. Why did you apply for the job? Well, I didn't actually, I wasn't interested in the job to begin with. Um, when they sent out the job posting in about a 24 hour period, I had three business associates reach out to me and say, Hey, I think this is something that you should look into doing. You're the kind of person that I think should be in this type of role. Um, as an entrepreneur, I haven't had a boss in 20 plus years. Um, but when I read through the posting, I thought, you know, this is something I can do. My grandfather was actually a state representative from the 63rd district, which at the time was actually Beckford County. And he used to tell our family, hey, you know, you come out of the private sector to serve your your state, your government, your community, um, to give the knowledge that you have, the expertise that you have. And then you go back to the private sector. That's what my grandfather had done. Um, and so I really was looking at this as an opportunity to serve. Um, I have a unique skill set being a part of um, contract work and consulting work in other legal states. Um, plus, I own a hemp business here. I had a unique skill set. And I thought, you know what? Um, I'm going to try. I'm, I'm going to go for it. it. What's the worst I could do? Say no. Um, and so I originally just had interest because other people were telling me that I should. Follow up, if I may, about that process. How From the time in which you first submitted your application and apply. how long was the process from when you first applied until when you were be before you were named just from a time perspective how quick was that yeah so i believe that our uh, applications and my resumes all had to be in by the end of july uh, i had my first interview the second week of august i've had my second interview the third week of august and then my third interview was actually with governor walls and um, some other individuals um, right after Labor Day. Um, so it was about seven weeks from my first interview when I knew I was going to be interviewing when they'd reached out to me to um, when I actually was asked to be appointed. Your announcement came one week ago today. Do you feel that the governor's office and other support staff that were involved in preparing you for the announcement did a good job? Do you feel that you were ready for the rollout and what was going to happen? I don't think they expected any of this to happen in any form. Um, therefore, there was no way they could have prepared me for this. Um, you know, I think they knew that this was a high profile appointment just because everybody has been so excited about cannabis legalization and what this means for Minnesota. I mean, we all know this is a billion dollar industry. Um, so this isn't just about the plant, right? This is about far more than that. So I, we knew people were excited. I think what they underestimated was the scrutiny from inside the cannabis community here in Minnesota. Um, I really don't think they saw that coming. Um, and so they didn't know it was coming. So there was no way they could have prepared me for it, unfortunately. 
Speak if you can for a moment on that scrutiny. So I really originally thought that part of the reason they chose me was one, because I had a very progressive plan for the future for the Office of Cannabis Management that I could back up with data. Um, But I also thought the other part they chose me is because I'm not politically aligned. I don't belong to any advocacy groups. I am not well connected in the local community because I've been a wallflower. Most of the work that I've done has been in other states. So there are people who are heavily involved in the cannabis community, um, and they were not happy that I got appointed because I was essentially to them a nobody. And it is surprising to me the lengths that people will go to when um, they don't get what they want. And that's what happened here. I want to follow up on a statement you made about the scrutiny in, with the cannabis community again. It seems to me in Becky and I recorded an episode, a podcast episode about this is where we analyzed what was going on. And it's pretty clear that some of the people in the cannabis community were spiking the football about what happened. Um, can you speak to that at all as to where you think that generator, or where that interest came from? Well, that's the thing, right? I'm not connected. I am not a part of any of these advocacy groups. I have never been. Um, I've been a wallflower. So although I know it came from the cannabis community, I don't know where. Um, I think maybe somebody who is better uh, uh, equipped to handle who is and who isn't in the local community could answer that question, but I can't. I'd love to know the answer to it. Okay. That's good. I appreciate that. It helps offer some clarity. I want to get to the rollout that happened and then some of the media scrutiny that happened. Not necessarily, I want to talk about it from a process standpoint, from a couple of perspectives. In the initial reports, there were, in the initial media reports that kind of broke on, I think, Thursday into Friday, there were inquiry, there were statements made. The governor's office was deferring comment to you about answering questions about some of the things that had come out in media reports. And Becky and I had spoken about that on a bonus episode that we had done. And one of the concerns that we had, one of the questions we had about that was, it seemed to me that the governor's office should be answering questions, bearing some responsibility and taking on the ownership of the appointment. It was the governor's office and who appointed you. And so what surprised me then was when you put some statements out on social media, you specifically said that you were instructed not to speak and you were told not to talk and return to media media questions what would you who advised you not to respond what would you have said to the media if you'd been able to respond at the time so i've spoken about this at length on my facebook page essentially the entire media and comms teams both said don't worry about it we have it um had i been given the opportunity those articles would have looked a lot different um, I can. I have had third-party compliance lawyers take a look at uh, what was presented to the Star Tribune, um, and I wasn't out of compliance. They made it seem like the video they posted had just been done. The video was done in September. I'm sorry, the video was done in February, so it was still under the original legislation, which was passed July 1st of 2022. The vapes in that video are completely legal. Um, the other claims that they made were erroneous. They... So to explain a little bit about compliance in the hemp industry, just so there's some context here, you know, when you are doing financial dealings with banks and credit card processors, they hold you to a high standard because they do not want to take the risk of you doing dumb business, right? So I was still considered a new business. I was being audited every 30 to 45 days by my credit card processor and my bank. 
Um, so as rules were changing in the hemp industry, we were constantly moving products around. Um, however, when I first started this business, it was an online business that sold to all states across the U.S. And every state has different laws and rules about what hemp drive products look like. So I had COAs, which are certificates of analysis on my website, which you legally have to put for consumers to see. And it was also a way that my credit card company and bank were keeping me compliant. In that folder was about 225 COAs. So there were products in there that we'd never sold. There were products in there that we had sold for a short amount of time. It's my fault that I never went back and cleared out that COA with only products that we had. So there's 220 COAs in there. Our product load is 45 products. So the Star Tribune took the information they found in that COA folder and poised it like I was carrying those products in my store and online. And that isn't the case. Had I been given the opportunity to chat with the Star Tribune, that article would have looked a lot different. And help me understand what precluded you, aside from getting direction from the governor's office, it was just a situation of do not respond, do not comment, don't say anything, correct? It was, and it was my naivete. I really thought that they had my back. I was under the assumption that they appointed me, that they had a team that knew, that they had somebody that was more knowledgeable than I was. I don't even know who told them that that product was out of compliance because it wasn't. And I'm like, who are they listening to? Where, who, who told you this product was out of compliance? Because I can tell you the people on the media team and the comms team and the people who are actively involved in this process are not experts on the law. They, they don't know. So somebody else told them. And there wasn't a dialogue that you were having that you could have with them to update that because Becky and I have both produced stories, pitched stories, been a part of, certainly me have been a part of stories. And it just seems to me that you were, you are a subject matter expert on this topic and to not yeah. communicate with you, particularly both when you're a subject matter expert of both about the subject of cannabis, plus it involves you in your business. It doesn't seem to me that there was a clear, there wasn't, to me, it seems that there wasn't an attempt based on what you're telling to invite you into the response that needed to happen. Correct? No, and I, no, they didn't. And I offered, I said, let me talk to them because I was under the assumption that they directed me not to. So I'm asking them for permission to talk to the media and they're telling me, no, no, we have it. Right. I, after the fact, have talked to other PR people that were like, what that what that is not how that would normally be handled and honestly there's a couple of other red flags leading up to that that i'm like oh wow like for instance in the press release all of the people that were on that zoom call were allowed to ask whatever they wanted nobody submitted me any questions that was all off the cuff and on the fly i mean esme murphy from wcco was asking me questions about constitutional law it was supposed to be an introductory call Right. So there are several things that happened in that process that I just don't think they were ready for the scrutiny that this was going to have. Now, because I have experience in other states, I saw it coming. I knew they were going to, they were going to say something. I owned a business, right? There's lots of exposure there. I knew somebody was going to say something. I was ready for the fight. And I even told people in the office at the state, let me, let me fight for this. And they said, no. Becky, you're a PR pro, you know, crisis communications. As you're listening to Erin talk about kind of the circumstances that she was put in, what's going through your head as you're hearing this as someone who is just understands how to prepare for a press conference, um, 
what people need to be prepared for, and then responding to it, high pressure situation. Again, what are your thoughts as you're hearing um, Aaron talk about how this process went out? Yeah, I mean, I know it was a, you know, a, they need, this was a position that they wanted to fill quickly. There were a lot of applicants, a long process, as you mentioned, different interviews and all of that sort. Um, but it's kind of wild to me that there wasn't a, a, like a formal media training. Even, you know, we just did this with one of my clients um, that we brought in a new plant manager and did a four hour here's a press release, go up and stand behind a, a podium and give us a press conference. We're going to fire hard questions at you. You know, we, it was four hours, not, what it, it wasn't weeks long. It was something that we did so we could ask the questions so you could be prepared. And then if there was something that you were not prepared for, that they would help supplement that and, and come up with messaging points and, and, and different things. And so I think it's really unfortunate that for them and especially for you that you were kind of thrown to the wolves with that, that not um, they should have been prepared for scrutiny. Again, it's one of those things I've worked for um, members of of the of Congress, of the state government. Um, it's one of those things you want to have in your back pocket. You hope you don't need them. But there are some of these things that should have been in the back pocket. And in particular, when this was coming out, um, asking you to just remain silent um, instead of even if it was just a something that was a little bit more prepared or a friendly reporter, which we all know, you know, everybody that's working in their comms office has a couple of friendly reporters that they could say, hey, we're going to give you, you know, five minutes to sit down. Whatever it looks like, there are ways to navigate this to make sure that you are able to ask the questions that are being asked of you um, to defend yourself and also for them to to stand strong behind this choice. And I think it was unfortunate that that did not happen. And 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 I apologize on behalf of people in the comms world that, that you were led astray with that. You know, they did give me some media training. It was about 45 minutes the night before. I have spoken publicly. I've been on TV and radio before. So I did have some experience to this, but yeah, there was no formal training. Erin, aside from the questions about compliant or not compliant products being in your store, I want to just ask that question again. Is there something more that you would have said to the media if you'd been given a clear path to respond? You know, my gut instinct was to ask who told you it wasn't compliant. And everything that was going on, for whatever reason, I never asked them it. I, I think I was overwhelmed. I think I trusted too many people. But I think that if I would have asked that one question, especially to Ryan at the Star Tribune, um, that would have I would have been able to rebut what they were saying. And I would have. I would have I would have proven it. You know, the vapes and I that video that he posted is like a two and a half, three minute long video. I go through that vape in very, very clear detail. As a matter of fact, the rep from that company who heard about all of this, reached out to me and was like, is there anything I can do to help? You know, they have a compliance team too as distributors and manufacturers. And he was just as upset about it as I was. So I had people who were like, yes, let me help you with this. To understand again, at the time, I just want to make sure I'm, I'm clear about this. At the time when that video was shot, those products were legal, correct? Correct. And that product is called Goliath. They have since rebranded to Titan. There's a longer story behind how that happened. That's probably not interesting to your your uh, viewers here. But um, the product has actually changed because when I did the video in February, 
a lot has changed in the hemp industry just in these last six, eight months. And so the formula that's in that video actually no longer exists. So the formula was made to be compliant. So now the, the current formula, if I was to carry those products, which I don't, mainly just because they are not equipped for Minnesota weather and they clog, um, would still be compliant because the distributor themselves have to be held to a high standard, right? And they were, they were changing their formula as they went through. So if somebody was just to look at that video and go, oh, I see what's in that video. I can see what's on that box. That's not, a, yeah, then it was legal. If you were to hold that same box now, that formula doesn't even exist. They changed it all. So, and that's the part to this that I think people don't understand is that as a small business owner, even as a consumer, this is confusing. The lines are blurred and it's not concrete. And it is a constantly moving beast that you have to keep up with. If you own a place that sells hemp drive products, it, it literally takes a team to make sure that you're compliant. Becky? Yeah. So just, um, you know, we, we know that you have had a lot of a spotlight on you and have been the focus of numerous media stories. Um, but again, as we kind of echo, the ability to fully respond has been hindered. So um, as we kind of come near the end here, what what do you just want people to know about you, Aaron Dupree, entrepreneur, you know, stepping away from that to, to serve in, in this public role? What, what do you want people to know about you? Um, I want people to know that I didn't get a fair shake. I didn't speak to the media on my own behalf because I didn't know that that onus was on me. Um, and so I want people to realize that everybody got half the truth. Um, you know, I, I don't really know where I'm going to go next. Um, I, to take this appointment, dissolved my consulting firms and sold my business, sold bonusy. Um, and so I don't know what's next, but I, I have learned more in the last week than I probably have last year. Expand on that if you can. So, um, first of all, let me be a little lighthearted. I have, um, I've never really had this. So the running joke between my business associates and my friends and family now was like, oh yeah, I had this for two days. That's about as long as you thought that would last. Um, but I have actually learned in all reality that Minnesota cannabis is in trouble. And somebody has to swoop in and save us. I don't know who that's going to be. Clearly, it's not going to be me now. And I'm sad about that because I am motivated. Um, but I've also learned that there is a lot of media in the metro area that is willing to just print stories for clicks and not print stories because they're actually fact-checked. Um, I've also learned that I don't think state of Minnesota on like a governmental level is ready for what's coming. And I hope that this was a learning experience for them and they only get better. Um, because this is a huge undertaking. Um, and I just don't think that there was enough thought put into this entire process. I want to be clear about something. Was there an understanding that products were removed from your inventory? Yeah. So the COAs that were sitting on my website had products that we were actually selling in other states. Right. Okay. When we decided to open a brick and mortar here in Minnesota, we obviously weren't going to carry non-compliant products. So we never reordered those. I just never went back and deleted out the COAs. Um, none of those products were sold in Minnesota. You know, I like to explain to people, like, if you go across the border in Wisconsin, they don't have any laws about this. There are plenty of stores in Wisconsin that are selling things that are far more potent than what we're allowed to have here in Minnesota. 
And I'll also say that when all of this went down, I was getting text messages, Facebook messages of people taking pictures of non-compliant product in stores all across the city. Not just hemp non-compliant products. I was getting sent pictures of hemp stores that are selling actual marijuana because nobody's watching. Nobody's regulating this. I did an interview with someone about this particular subject, and we were talking about the compliance aspect of this. And as I'm hearing you explain this, it's not as simple as I think a lot of people were led to understand. And that gets to a point when Becky and I, again, spoke with um, Mike Zipko, a, a, a PR expert, and Becky's a PR expert, and, and I'm a PR amateur. Um, but we came to the conclusion that based on the specificity of the information that was coming out about the compliant, non-compliant products, it seemed to me to be a little bit of an inside job, meaning it was someone in the community. Because as I said on the podcast, I don't, you're explaining it to me right now in a way in which I am starting to understand it a bit more. I'm reading other stories that have been published by media outlets on this subject. But it seems to me that's the type of catch that only someone who had had you lined up in your sites, ready to take you out, was prepared to do. Because as you pointed out, the video was taken in February. And I think I said on the podcast that we did, someone must have sat on this for a very long time, took an incredible amount of discipline to sit on that type of stuff and wait to the right moment to pounce. And so from your perspective, without trying to have you name names or point fingers at people, but it does seem to me that the evidence points to that this was a bit of an inside job. And what I mean by inside job is inside the cannabis community that had so that people had their sights on you. I 100% agree with that. Like I said, I wish I knew who that individual was. I wish I knew what their motive was. But it is a convoluted, difficult subject. It isn't black and white. It hasn't been since they legalized it in July of 2022. Um, so unless you're in the know, unless you're educated, nobody would have picked up on that. Nobody. I mean, even when I was doing compliance checks with the bank and my credit cards, I was actually having to like send them copies of the law, have them talk to my attorney. Because even sometimes the banks and the credit card companies were like, what is actually legal there in Minnesota? Like, we need to make sure that you're complying. Who can we talk to to get a straight answer on this? That was like, I've been asking that for the last six months. There is no one. There isn't. Do you think that that your experience in the being a business owner, understanding this injury industry from the perspective of a business owner where you have to be compliant with things, do you think that ultimately that was a, a net benefit, an asset to you? Do you think that this experience, because just stepping back, I'm not trying to answer my own question here, but it seems to me that the experience that you went through on Thursday and Friday, particularly on the compliance issue related to some of these, these products, made the case to me, speaking just on that kind of subject area, that makes the case that there was a reason for someone like you to be in that position. 100% agree, because I've been actively working on this for a long time. You know, the hard part is, is that my goal, honestly, was to make it easier for businesses and to make it easier for small and medium-sized businesses to actually do business and to be compliant because it's not easy right now. It is difficult. And people who are in the industry, who are in the culture, they're the ones who understand and know that. The hard part is, is the people who end up in the bad spot in all of this are Minnesota consumers because they're confused. You know, I manned my store. For, the, for literally the first three months, mainly because I wanted to find out what Minnesotans actually knew and didn't know. And you would be surprised how confused people are because it's not clear. 
it's not clear what is legal. It's not clear if you can carry it in your car. It's not clear if you can smoke it in a public place. None of that is clear, right? You know, and I have been telling people part of the reason that like this, I felt like I was in a good position for this is not only because I've been studying it and it's part of my business, my business actually got shut down because of a moratorium, right? So I have experienced in several different areas in the industry. And I really thought that was to my advantage. Now, I, I did think that's why it positioned me to be good as a director. I would, I still think that, right? Um, but this has been an incredible learning experience for me. Um, you know, I'm one of those people who I really try hard to look at uh, nothing as a loss, right? Either you win or you learn something. And this has been a huge lesson. Now, what advice would you have for somebody else that was looking to leave the private sector and go into a high level role in government such as this, such a director level role or deputy director, anything of that sort? I would hope that somebody would come into it um, with the the mindset to actually double check what's going on, right? To ask more questions, to be more diligent, to not be as trusting as I was. Um, I think that having um, this be my first experience and endeavor into any kind of, you know, higher level government appointed position, I would say that whoever comes next to be ready for the fight. Because if you're not part of the community and you're not connected with the right people, they're going to give you just as much scrutiny as they gave me. Do you think that when you talk about the fight, do you mean the fight with in the cannabis community for this position? Is 100%. that the fight you're talking about? Yeah, 100%. I think that there is such a large community um, that if you're not well, well connected, it becomes very difficult to be successful. You know, it's been a tight knit community. There was a lot of people who worked towards legalization and they all did a lot of really important work. Um, and I'm glad that we had them, but those are the same people that think that they can have a seat at the table to make the decision about who gets what job. There's been some discussion about who, who should replace you, whether it can come in state. Do you, the arguments that you're laying out as to the dynamics that are existing right now in the cannabis community leads me to believe that it may make sense for someone to come from out of state to fill this spot because they won't come in with barnacles on them or won't be in the crossfire like you were. Do you agree with that? I do agree with that. I think that's the only way they're going to fill this position uh, with somebody who's qualified is they're going to have to look at the state. They're going to have to look to Michigan. They're going to have to look to Illinois somewhere, um, which is really kind of the sad part of it because this is Minnesota's market. This should be a Minnesotan. What's next for you? That's a really great question. Um, I think I might take a couple of months off as a little bit of a sabbatical. Um, I am trying diligently to be able to uh, open back up Lunacy. Um, I don't have a consulting firm anymore because I dissolved it for this position. So we've gone back and forth about what does it look like moving forward. Um, so I have a lot of decisions to make, but I am definitely going to take my time. To well, we really appreciate you spending some time with us to talk. You guys have been very thorough and I appreciate all the time you've given me to speak. Well, we really appreciate you taking the time. I know it's been a lot. Um, and like Michael said, we wish you well. We, um, a lot of what we had talked about, uh, in the previous episode was similar to this is that we thought it was, um, unfortunate that the governor's uh, administration, um, you know, proceeded the way they did. And so um, we appreciate you taking the time. I know you didn't have to do it, um, but we hope that you were able to kind of get some of your piece out and, and have, have a voice that you didn't have for 
maybe the past week, past couple of days. So thank you so much. We really appreciate it and um, look forward to hearing what's next for you. Thank you. We just finished an interview with Erin Dupree. Becky, your thoughts? I feel really bad. She is clearly very passionate about this industry. She clearly has a lot of experience, articulated herself very well in her knowledge and what she sought to bring to this role and why she was chosen uh, to be appointed for this role. I think from, you know, from our conversation and looking at the articles and and everything we've seen, it seems that a lot of this could have been I don't want to say that she would have coasted through and continued through, but I think a lot of this seems to hinge on the Walls administration's handling of the situation, telling her not to talk to the press, to stay silent, to not give explanations when she made it clear that the explanations were, you know, we like to say when you're explaining, you're losing, which is is great. But there are times when an explanation is necessary and remaining silent of something that can be um, explained in a way that would make a lot of these articles and stories a lot more factually accurate. Um, I think it's really disappointing that she was not given that voice and and I'm glad that she was willing to join us so so we could help bring some uh, shed some light on that. We did a bonus episode just on Sunday on this subject, and we discussed it at length with Mike Zipko about and who you work with at Velocity, and we talked a lot about the human aspect of this. And so it was, I think, logical to have her on as a guest. And I'm glad we reached out to her because it's very clear to me that from the perspective of just her being a human being, that she was not treated well in this process and that she did not get the type of support that she needed to successfully navigate the press inquiries that happened. And I do believe after speaking with her that had she gone out and talked about some of these issues, I do believe there was an opportunity for her to have survived this and to have made it through. I do think, particularly as she spoke about some of the compliance issues related to products that were sold in her store, I do believe that had she gone out and articulated some of the confusion that shop owners have in products and what was available in her shop versus what was online and what was in kind of the brick and mortar shop, I think that would have explained a lot of communication and it could have given I think a necessary argument as to why someone like her needed to be the first cannabis director in Minnesota. But unfortunately, that opportunity wasn't provided to her. Also, not to twist the knife, but it's very clear based on her comments and I think our analysis in the bonus episode that the criticisms against her came from the cannabis community. And it seems that it's a very um, cutthroat a very, there's just not a lot of people getting along well in the sandbox in that community. And I'd be really curious to see if somebody comes in from out of state, what type of relationship these businesses are going to have with the new director of cannabis, because at least with Aaron, there was someone from the state who understood the law and the dynamics as to what could and couldn't be done. And someone coming in could be a lot different as this program and this expansion of marijuana that we've had in the state expands and grows. And I don't know if government is the same as the political world when it comes to outsiders, but at least in my experience working in Republican politics, um, the activist space doesn't take very kindly to out-of-state operatives. Um, I don't know that uh, this uh, cannabis community um, that has been cultivated and, and been working here 
to build these relationships is going to take very kindly to an out-of-state person who comes in and might not appreciate the way they do things and the way that things have been done in the past. And and then the last thing I wanted to say on it is I think one of the most unfortunate things is a lot of Americans, Minnesotans already have a poor view of government. And to hear that one of her biggest regrets in this situation is that she was too trusting of the government, of the state of Minnesota, of the administration is really unfortunate. It's just really sad to me that I, I mean, I know that that sentiment is not on her alone. Um, but that is really sad that she came in and thought that these people had her best intentions at heart, that she was going to be taken care of, that she was giving up a lot. She sold multiple businesses, was, you know, coming into this um, to to set things up in a way that helped eliminate some of that confusion and and so that we could have a successful industry for years to come. And um, it, it just is really, un- really sad that one of her biggest regrets is, is that she trusted the state and the government too much. We want to thank you for listening to this bonus episode of The Breakdown with Broadcom and Becky. Before we go, show some love for your favorite podcast by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or on the platform where you listen. You can also leave a review on our website at bbbreakpod.com. The Breakdown with Broadcom Rebecca will return this week with a new episode. Thank you again for joining us.